hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Lift your hands. Come on, all over the building. Front to back, left to right. Open up your mouth. Begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on, all over the room. That's it. Come on, Calvary. I want to hear you. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, just 30 more seconds. That's it. Just lift your hands. Amen. Open your mouth. If your hands are lifted, open your mouth. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Just 15 seconds. Stir up the spirit. That's it. My God, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hallelujah. 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 Somebody shout hallelujah. I am beyond thankful to be with you today and honored. If you can stay standing for just honestly, it'll be one, two minutes here. Thank you, uh, Pastor Don. Thank you, Apostle Rayleigh. I know you're preaching this morning and you'll be here tonight. Um, friends for a while on the East Coast and the West Coast. Come on. And um, in case you don't know where I'm from, from the desert of Arizona, Phoenix. Well, I thought it was, uh, I don't know why I thought it was a good idea that our brother mentioned uh, carnigans and sweaters and jackets to come from the desert of Phoenix to the beaches of Daytona. Come on, y'all with a jacket and a sweater. It felt good in the air-conditioned uh, uh, store. Talk to me, y'all. But I'm honored to be here today, Pastor Josh, Pastor Natasha, friends of ours, friends of our house. We love you guys. We miss you. Thank you. I finally get to meet your daughter. Hallelujah. And uh, we're excited to be with you guys today. I came to preach to you today on prayer and the title of my message, which is ironic because I came from the desert of Phoenix to the beaches of Florida. And the title of my message today is Melt the Snow, Melt the Snow. Look at your neighbor say, it's time to melt the snow with some prayer. Just ironic that I came from the desert to the beach to preach to all of us about melting the snow in prayer. I want to say that a spirit of prayer is what is needed in the church in this nation right now. There you go. That's what I want to hear. As a friend of ours, Corey Russell says, and I'll give him credit for the three or four times that I quote him today, talk about a spirit of prayer. He carries it. But he says, a spirit of prayer falls on a life of prayer. Come on, y'all. A spirit of prayer will only fall on a life of prayer. Does anyone want the spirit of prayer to fall on your life? then we must have a life of prayer. I'm thankful for this week of prayer, but we must have a life of prayer. We must have a church in this nation that will push everything aside in this hour and moving forward and pray. Amen? This is, there is vital preparing, a vital uh, aspect of preparing in prayer. And I'm talking about teaching and training. But there is also a provoking to pray. 
I happen to have the anointing of provoke on my life. Come on, y'all. So shake your neighbor. Say, get ready, because you will be provoked today. Just know that anything that I say that I love you, and I love this house, I love you, pastors. I love you, but it's time to pray. I said, it's time to pray. We've mastered a lot of things in the body of Christ. We've mastered programs. We've mastered strategies. We've learned how to build churches, big churches, and praise God for that. But I say that it's time to pray. Our trends haven't turned a nation yet, my friend. It's time to pray. There's a preparing in prayer, but then there's a provoking to pray. I came to preach to you about melt the snow. Somebody scream, melt the snow. David Brainerd was a missionary to the Native American Indians. He saw, this is in the 1700s, revival break out and change an entire tribe of Native Americans. David Brainerd had a desire to see the unreached reached for Christ. Often, he would kneel in the snow and pray to the Lord. He would kneel in the snow and he would pray to the Lord. His fervor for the Native American Indian's salvation and his fervor for the glory of God, God's glory to come, was so intense and it was so great that history tells us when he finished the heat from his body, I said the heat from his body had melted all of the snow within two feet of where he knelt. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. He had such an intense passion for souls to be saved in this tribe. He had such an intense passion for God's glory to manifest that when his knees touched that ground, he did not get up until God's glory had come and he knew he had prayed through. The result was the snow had melt around him. Calvary, Daytona Beach, Phoenix, Arizona, it's time to melt the snow. He would spend several hours a day in prayer, history says, and frequently devoted an entire day to this purpose. June 14th in 1742, he said, I set apart this day for secret fasting and prayer. Just as, just at night the Lord visited me, he said, I wrestled. Look at your neighbor say, wrestle this week. For an ingathering of souls, I still quote him, Almost done. I'll let you be seated. I was in such an agony, David Brainerd said. I was in such an agony from sunup till nearly dark that I was wet all over with sweat. Oh, my dear Savior, did sweat blood for poor souls. I went to bed with my heart wholly set on God. History shows us that David Brainerd discovered the reality of prayer, the agony of prayer, and the resources of prayer. And he learned about the transforming power of prayer. He was made strong by prayer and by the divine companionship that he had with his God. And history says, folks, 
that he preached with such a passion and such a tenderness that stony hearts were frequently, watch me now, melted to tears. If we want a world to melt to tears, you and I, church, have to learn how to melt the snow. His fervor for the Native Americans' salvation and God's glory was so intense that his prayer melt the snow within two feet of him. Does your prayer life melt the snow? David said it like this, I will pray until I become prayer itself. Jeremiah says, my eyes overflow with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes flow and do not cease without interruption till the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. Two more scriptures. Jesus, it was said about Jesus. And being in agony, shout agony. He prayed more earnestly and then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. The apostle Paul said this in Ephesians 6.18. Pray passionately in the spirit as you constantly intercede with every form of prayer. The spirit of prayer falls on a life of prayer. Somebody shout amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you. So wonderful musicians. There are many forms of prayer. And I don't have time to deal with all of them today. But I do feel a gripping urgency for the church in this nation to be gripped by the prayer that melts the snow. Somebody shout, melt the snow. Shout it louder. Shout, melt the snow. Look at your neighbor. Say, it's time to melt the snow. Come on. I feel a gripping urgency for the church in this nation to be gripped by the kind of prayer, whether that prayer be supplication, whether that prayer be petition, whether that prayer be legislation, whether that prayer be travail, my question is, does it melt the snow? Because I feel a gripping urgency in our nation that we as the church must be gripped by whatever form of prayer that it is, it must melt the snow around us. Whatever that is, we must ask ourselves, are we praying with the urgency and are we praying with the conviction and are we praying with the anointing that will melt the snow and bring the souls in around us come on somebody if prayer melts the snow at the heat of a natural body that 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 person my friend has not only reached merely a state of spiritual discipline but they have gotten caught up in the heart of God my God If your prayer and the heat from your body has melted the snow unnatural in the natural around you, then not only have you reached a spiritual discipline, but you and I have gotten caught up in the heart of God. They have taken on, you and I have then taken on the burden of the Lord. And we are no longer praying for ourselves or even praying for someone else, but we are praying for and we are praying on behalf of the heart of God. David will Wilkerson said it like this, if you set your heart to pray, God will come and he will start sharing his heart with you. 
At large, the American church prays selfish prayers. Come on. In the pulpit and in the pew. And I'm not opposed to personal petition and praying prayers for ourselves. Jesus told us that we can do that. But where are those who will stand in the gap on behalf of the land? Where are those who will pray for someone else's need like it was your own? Because until we reach that place, we cannot call ourselves intercessors because an intercessor is the go-between between what is the need and what is God's will for that person and that situation and that nation come on if our praying is going to melt the snow then you and I are going to have to learn to pray until my friend will you pray until not just one campaign talk to me Calvary Not just one campaign, not just one event, but will you pray until? Because I'm coming to realize that when I am event-driven, my prayers are shallow and my prayers are short. But when I am eternity-driven, I will pray until. Leonard Ravenhill said it like this, that the sweet hour of prayer has become the sweet 20 minutes of prayer in our churches. We have 20 minutes of sharing. Talk to me, y'all. 20 minutes of going over the church events. Come on. Or excuse me, a few minutes of going over the church events. A nice song. A little bit of a closing prayer. He said, would to God that we could rise a battalion of wet-eyed intercessors. Lamentations chapter 3 again. My eyes flow unceasingly without stopping until the Lord looks down and sees from heaven. Lamentations chapter 2. Their heart cried out to the Lord. Oh wall, oh well of the wall of the daughter of Zion. Let your tears run down like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief. Give your eyes no rest. Arise and cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord lift up your hands toward him for the life of your children Paul said in Romans 12 be devoted to prayer and as I've already said David said I will pray until I become prayer itself Joel chapter 2 blow the trumpet in Zion consecrate a fast proclaim a solemn assembly gather the people sanctify the congregation assemble the elders let the priest and the ministers weep between the porch and the altar and let them say spare your people oh Lord I can came to Florida from the desert of Arizona to say that Florida needs some snow to melt. At the heat of the knees and the tears of those who fill the heart of God and carry a city and a people and a nation in their heart. A spirit of prayer, a prevailing prayer that melts the snow is more than a prayer meeting, my friend. You better preach with me this morning. Prayer meeting is essential. You better be here every single prayer meeting this week. Come on. It is a willful choice. The spirit of prayer is a willful choice to abandon yourself to the Holy Spirit for the sole reason of bringing his purposes to pass through your prayer. Prayer must go deeper than a duty, Calvary. It's got to grip your heart until it melts the snow. That brings in the harvest. 
And that brings in the healing. Let me preach this morning. Because hell is not nervous at your knowledge, my friend. Hell is not nervous at our titles, my friends. Be it bishop, be it prophet, be it apostle, or be it pastor. You better preach with me. Hell is not very nearly as impressed as we are with our talents. Come on. But hell trembles in the face of an intercessor that knows how to melt the snow. You call yourself what you want to call yourself. But I ask you, do you know how to melt the snow around you? When was the last time that you heard someone introduce themselves as intercessor? Pastor this, prophet this, y'all preach with me this morning. When was the last time you heard someone introduce themselves as intercessor? This American church could be our problem. Somebody shout amen in this place. That needs to be said, so I'm going to say it again. When was the last time that you heard someone introduce themselves as intercessor? This could be our problem. This could be our problem. Hell mocks our programs and our incessant, never-ending trends. But it trembles when we pray. I said it trembles when we pray. If I can provoke you to be gripped by prayer, the outcome is limitless. If I can provoke you to be gripped by prayer, you can release destinies. You can touch nations. You can shift governments. You can tap into unending realms of glory. You can shift territories. You can save a nation. For David Brainerd, it was the nation of the Native American Indians. And possibly you may not be trying to save a nation, but maybe you're trying to save just one, one soul. Can I ask you, will you melt the snow this week for that one soul? I'm going to ask you again. You're just after one soul. It's your son, it's your daughter, it's your prodigal, it's your neighbor, it's your co-worker. I ask you, Calvary, do you really want them to be saved? Because if you do, you will melt the snow. Don't think this praying thing is playing. Come on. The devil trembles. When we pray, not in our programs, not in our incessant, never-ending trends in the body of Christ in this nation, but he trembles when we pray. If you will melt the snow for one soul, you will be as Jesus because Hebrews said in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because because of his godly fear. If you are gripped by prayer, you will gain the attention of heaven and you will command the attention of hell as you respond to be gripped by the greater of God. He will unfold to you what eye has not seen and he will show you great and mighty things that you have never seen. Mouth the snow! There's a posture of prayer that melts the snow. Are you ready? The spirit of prayer falls on the life of prayer. The life of prayer. Look at your neighbor in the eyeball and say it's a life of prayer. 
There's a posture of prayer that melts the snow. There's many things that I could preach on a lot this morning concerning prayer. But I really felt that I was to transfer this to you, Calvary, as you begin this week, very strategic week. I believe that the harvest will be vast in this campaign or whatever you want to call it if you'll melt the snow. Did you hear me? I know you heard me, but preachers like to ask that. Come on. If you melt the snow, you'll have a vast harvest. But there is, my friend, a posture of prayer that melts the snow like missionary David Brainer did. It is the posture of desperation. It is the posture of authority. And it is the posture of humility. Somebody talk to me. Come on. I said it is the posture of desperation. It is the posture of spiritual authority. And it is the posture of humility. I heard a story some years ago. I wrote it in my first book, Doorkeepers of Revival. And I'm going to quote it. And this is from an African, Uganda African minister, uh, Jackson Sinyonga. I believe that this was in the 90s. I believe 80s or 90s. Forgive me. I don't really know the time frame exactly. But he gives and he was speaking to the American. American church. And this is an excerpt of what he said. And it goes like this. Somebody shout desperation. Somebody say melt the snow. He said this to the American church. He said, Uganda used to be the flower pearl of Africa. When Idiom men took over, everything changed. We were dying. Neighbors were killed during the night. You couldn't run away from the city because of the roadblocks and they would kill you. The airports were restricted. It was impossible to escape. We lived not knowing what to do. And in our desperation, the devil made us pray. Come on, America. He says, see, revival comes to us either from desperation or devastation. We choose the way that we want our revival. People in Uganda begin to pray like dying people. These are the kind of prayers, he said, that bring revival, not casual prayers. Prayer was not an event for us. It was a lifestyle. Prayer was not an event for us. It was a lifestyle. Prayer was not an event for us. It was a lifestyle. And he said, we put demands on heaven to open and on the heart of God to receive. Spawn, listen to me. He said, Prayer must be taken to that melting point. This wasn't an organized prayer. He said it was jungle praying. Shake your neighbor and say, We need some jungle praying in America. He said it wasn't organized because they were driven to prayer because they were being killed. Are you with me? Are you with me this morning? They were driven to prayer in their devastation. They were desperate because of devastation. He said we would go out into the jungles all night long in the middle of the night crying out to God and then return in the morning with insect bites all over us. But he said the people didn't care because their hunger for God transcended their natural comfort. I said their hunger for God transcended their natural comfort. I said their their hunger for God transcended their natural comfort. We need some jungle praying, not praying 
praying when I feel like it. Not praying when it's convenient. But the kind of prayer that pulls heaven to earth. Somebody shout jungle pray. He said transformation. He said their hunger for God transcended their natural comfort. He said it was either God came or they were dead. Transformation came to Uganda because of the fervent praying. Prayer, he said, get this, must be able to outcry the sin of the land before revival comes. When the sin of the city is crying louder than the voice of intercession, we will never see a new day of transformation. Come on. And he says, in America, you are accustomed to events. My God. (laughs) Therefore, you don't know how fervent prayer can be sustained. You don't know how to melt the snow. I put that in there. Come on. Event praying, he said, is hit and run praying. And when we run, the enemy is occupying. Those prayers, he said, do not bring revival. But in Uganda, he said, we prayed. Are you ready for this, Calvary? He said, we prayed every day for 15 years. Look at your neighbor and say, how long are you willing to pray? And he said, we would not take no for an answer. Listen to what he said. We reached the melting point of prayer. We reached the melting point of prayer and God answered. And it affected the political system, the marketplace, and the church of Uganda. And today, there is a new atmosphere in Uganda. I came to ask somebody in Florida, are you ready to get to the melting point of prayer and melt the snow? Number two, shout desperation. Shout authority. In the book, The Intercessor by Rees Howes, once again a classic, he talks about Calvary. He talks about the game place of intercession. Most believers, at least in America, do not reach a game place of intercession. First of all, because many do not pray. Come on, y'all. I warned you. I warned you. That I have the anointing of provoke. Come on. Most because, much because most of it is because many don't pray. But if you do pray, we pray on our terms. I said we pray on our terms. And we pray at our prompting, not at the Holy Spirit prompting. So very few can reach the game place of intercession, which he's talking about. Because he's talking about that as you grow in the revelation of intercession, you gain an authority in the spirit. And because of the willingness that the intercessor has, I'm talking about authority. He says because of the willingness that you have to associate with another and enter into agony with the Holy Spirit on behalf of another or a situation or a city or a nation he says there is an authority that is granted to the intercessor that shifts the heavenlies come on there is an authority that is granted to the intercessors that shifts the heaven and he calls it the gained place of intercession in this position of authority this gained place of intercession greater works are done in this place of intercession so that now God is moving in the 
way that he needs to move on behalf of a person, on behalf of a cause, on behalf of a situation. When the intercessor has entered this gain place of authority, you have entered into a grace and a faith that will accompany you. And then, my friend, as you have entered into this place of authority, and this is what the church, American church doesn't want to hear, God holds you responsible. God holds you responsible to see that the needs are met because now heaven is at your disposal and you have arrived at this place of gained authority in the position of intercession. You have melted the snow because when the sufferings and the needs and the goals or the mandates of others or a nation become so real and so painful and so alive to you that you plead and that you pray as if you were doing so for yourself you have reached the game place of authority and the game place of intercession then you have melted the snow I'm trying to provoke you past now I lay me down to sleep I'm trying to provoke you past just saying the blessing over your meal I'm trying to provoke you past just praying on a Sunday morning God needs a church in this nation who will melt the snow. Shout! Desperation, authority, and humility. I said humility. Isaiah chapter 64. Look at humility. Everybody say humility. Look at the prayer of humility. Humility. Isaiah chapter 63, excuse me, verse 15. Hallelujah. Come on, Holy Ghost. Look down from heaven and see from your habitation. Holy and glorious. Where are your zeal and your strength? The yearning of your heart and your mercies toward me. Prayers of humility. Prayers of humility. Are they restrained, Lord? Verse 17. Return for your servant's sake. Prayers of humility. We have become like those of old over whom you never ruled. Those who were never called by your name. Prayers of humility. It is time, it is past time for the church in this nation to return to the prayers of humility. Prayers of humility for our nation. Prayers of humility for our cities. We need to be expressing regret. We need to be expressing repentance. We need to be expressing sorrow and utter desperation that says, America only God can fix you America only God can fix America and only God can fix the church in this nation and yes both of them need to be fixed we need to pray prayers of humility with a 
posture of dependence on him alone. Not dependence on our ministries. Not dependence on personalities. Not dependence on platforms. Not dependent on our anointing. Not dependent on our gift. Not dependent on our charisma. Not dependent on our self-built reputation and red carpet preachers. We need to return to prayers of humility. I'm going to say that last thing again to make religion mad. We do not need red carpet preachers in this hour. You said, did she say that out loud? I intentionally said it out loud. Here and other places. Because you are being duped by a lie, my friend. You are being duped by a distraction. And it's not only your fault, it's the pulpit and the pew's fault. It's the pulpit's fault because we find, hey, hey, we have fed up a shikata for decades. We have looked at what we do as our final reward. But it is also your fault, my friend, because you have let us do it and you have lifted us up and worshiped. Therefore, today we have red carpet preachers. But God says, I am pulling out the red carpet. And I am placing those up who will pray prayers of humility. God says, I'm pulling out the red carpet. I'm pulling down the banners of self-gratitude and self-gratification. I am lifting up those who will pray the prayers of humility. I'm telling you, he is looking for those who are in a back room or a dark room where nobody knows their name. Nobody knows if they have a title or not. Because what you have is the heart of God. You may not have a platform, but you have the heart of God. Soon you may have a platform, my friend, because you have the heart of God. It's time to return to prayers of humility. Are you still with me? Prayers of humility. Because our ministries, our personalities, our, our, our platforms, our gifts, our charismas, our anointings even, our programs, all of our ideas have not turned a nation. Talk to me, y'all. Talk to me, y'all. I said it's not turned a nation. It's time to try prayers of humility. It's time to pr- try prayers of travail. It's time to try prayers of, and of tears. Come on. I said tears. I said tears. Do you melt the snow? If the church in this nation does not awaken to this crucial posture of humility, we will remain caught up in what I say is the swirl of religion. And I will define that for you this morning, even though you think you may know. It is form without power. It is appearance without substance. It is fanfare without the fire. It is talk without the walk. And it is excitement with no fruit. Ha! If we do not return to prayers of tears and humility, we will get caught up in religion, the swirl or the swirl of the spirit of this age that causes us to defer to the natural versus the spiritual, reason versus discernment, logic versus revelation, and Facebook instead of his book. Come on. 
In this last point of this message this morning, I want to stir you because if you keep reading into Isaiah chapter 64, he continues the prayer of humility and it is a point of literal revelation that the condition of the nation and the condition of God's people was directly related to that the church was not praying. Come on. If you keep going in Isaiah 64, very familiar to many of us, oh, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down. That the mountains might shake at your presence. As the fire burns the brushwood, as the fire causes the water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence when you did awesome things for which we did not look. You came down. Somebody shout, you came down. The mountain shook at your presence. How many know that in this nation we need some mountains, not geographical per se, but the enemies of this nation, we need them to shake at the presence of God again. For since the beginning of the world, Men have not heard nor perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You indeed, O Lord, are angry. Listen, church, for we have sinned. We, I said this is prayers of humility. We have sinned. And in these ways we continue and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Now there, verse 7 is the verse that I want to focus on in this last point this morning. Somebody shout melt the snow. Melt the snow. Isaiah says in his prayers of humility, he says, this is the reason why we're in this mess. Is there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. Are you with me, Calvary? It's one thing to call on him. It's an entirely different prayer life to take hold of him. It's one thing to call on God in a nice palatable prayer meeting. It's an entirely different thing to take hold of God. And I am convinced that it is when we can finally take hold of God that we will have melted the snow around us. But Isaiah says there is no one who calls on your name who stirs himself. Shake your neighbor beside you right now and say it is time to get stirred to prayer. Come on. The kind of prayer that takes hold of God. We need a stirring in the church in this nation. Help me, y'all. When you stir something, you upset its current state. Come on. When you stir something, you upset, you upset its current posture or its current position like you stir some soup and you want to get all the contents. You want the heat to touch all of the contents. The heat of the fire of God needs to touch every part of the church in this nation. Heat and fire cause discomfort. Ah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Heat and fire demands your attention, my friend. It's coming to the church in this nation. It's got to. 
Because there's too many who are comfortable. There's too many who are distracted. There's too many who are in slumber. There's too many, as Pastor Dawn said, you just go to church, but you're not being the church. I'm glad you're here today. This is not my church. I better not say it. Come on, somebody. No. Okay, if I were in my church, hallelujah. Did I do that right? I say, you better have yourself here tonight. You better have yourself here tomorrow night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Because God is not looking for people that sit in comfy seats week after week, filling nice church buildings. We in America should be thankful for what God has given us. Because most of the nation does not have what we have. But that is not what impresses me that you're here this morning. What will impress not me, but God, is when it's not convenient for you. When it's not comfortable for you, when it demands more of you, will you take on the posture to melt the snow? Come on! Yeah? Even after 2020, y'all, and all the stuff, many are still in the state, even those that don't realize it, and those that won't want a minute. I'm talking about the attack on our nation. Or those who want to intentionally debate that they're, I'm stirred, I'm stirred. No, you're not. Come on, y'all. I'm stirred, I'm stirred. No, you're not. No, you're not. What's priority in your life? Come on, talk to me, y'all. Because the spirit of prayer falls on a life of prayer. Stirred. Stirred to call on him and to take hold of him. Even the people debate about it. You're called to leave a level of comfort the answer has been, I've heard it over and over. Even eight years of sustained revival at Fresh Start Church in Phoenix, Arizona, we still get excuses. I'm like, I'm like, okay, whatever. Come on, y'all. I'm going to pray because I want to see a nation turned. I'm going to pray because I want to see revival until Jesus comes back. I'm going to pray. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to do whatever it takes to melt the snow. But so many have the idea that I don't have enough time for this. It doesn't take all of that. I say, you go on with your bad self and be status quo and be nominal. I came to stir. I came to provoke. I came to tell you it is time to get back to prayers of humility that take hold of God. The context of our text finds the people of God, not the world. In a very disappointing, mournful, compromising condition. And Isaiah assesses the situation. And he cries out for a divine intervention. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Spurgeon says he sees that the people are in such a steep slumber. That they are so utterly under the power of their sin. That unless God himself shall descend with all the power and the terror of Sinai. That the people of God will utterly perish in their iniquity. Are you awake in this room? Come on. You should be glad this is my last point. Come on, y'all. This is a daring and a desperate prayer for revival that Isaiah prays for God to come to his people, his church. God, come down and burn everything and shake everything and move everything that stands in the way of your presence and your will. And he calls for God to remove all of the false confidences, all of the lukewarmness of those who pretend to be his church or his people, but they are not. And his assessment after the condition of everything, he said, God, we have sinned in all of these ways and we continue to sin, but there is no one who stirs himself to call on you and to take hold of you. The current state of our nation is at a gripping level of wickedness. Come on, y'all. 
We are rivaling Sodom and Gomorrah. The spirit of perversion is not only coming out of the closet, but it is being shoved down our throats. The spirit of the Antichrist is working feverishly to push an anti-biblical, unrighteous agenda. Corruption is at every level of government. Trust in any authority or institution in this nation is at an all-time low. And at the same time, much of the church has settled for a few minutes on Sunday morning with a low-impact talk that is loosely connected to a scripture in the Bible and a concert that they call praise and worship. This is our nation. They are rewriting the Bible to fit their itching ears. They are deconstructing their faith. They are moving the boundary stones that the Father has set in place. Fathers have set in place. They are taking Christianity and they are making it progressive because they have absolutely no revelation that this is an ancient word and this word does not need to progress. It has not only been before time, but this word will exist after time. And yet people in the church in this nation think that they need to help this word fit in time. This is an eternal word that does not need to progress with a lower level, earthly, temporal, carnal mindset. All of this is happening in the church. But all we do is just come to church. It's time to pray. I said, it's time to pray. Isaiah said, who is the one who will stir themselves to call on God and take hold of him? The condition, Isaiah said, of the people of God, of the nation of Israel, is because no one stirs themselves to call on God. Can I hear a loud amen? I'm screaming. It's time for y'all to scream. Come on. Come on. There you go. Come on. You better learn how to unlock it is all I got to say. You better learn how to unlock it because God doesn't need a timid church in this day. God doesn't need a quiet church in this day. Come on. God doesn't need a church who is, who is uh, what am I trying to say, who is, uh, 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 I don't know, you, just wanna, you don't want to hurt their feelings. Come on, y'all. Come on. Did I say that right? God doesn't need a church that you're just afraid you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. I would rather hurt somebody's feeling and yank them out of religion and yank them out of hell than to preach something that is not going to move you past your current level of spiritual pursuit. It's time to stir yourself, to call on God, take hold of Him, and melt the snow. Ah! I won't be much longer. All right, I will. This is amazing to me that Leonard Ravenhill in 1979, I'm pretty sure that he and I were related somehow, pretty sure. If you don't read Leonard Ravenhill, do it sometime. You'll know what I'm talking about. He said, at this moment, we are a broken nation. 1979, financially, morally, and spiritually. He said, if we were half as spiritual as we think we are, we would be going to the house of God in sackcloth and ashes to anoint our unworthy heads 
but still we just play church. The reason why the nation was in the condition that it was in is because there was no one that would stir themselves to pray the prayers of humility, to call on God, and to take hold of Him. Because it's in the taking hold of Him, my friend, that you're going to melt the snow. Why isn't the prayer meeting the most popular meeting? Yeah, every time I ask that, it gets quiet. Y'all don't know me well. I don't think you do anyway, but that eggs me on. Come on, y'all. Oh, it certainly does. It certainly does. Why isn't the prayer meeting the most popular meeting? It's a good question. It's a valid question. It's a question that nobody is asking. It's a gripping question. But it's a question that I'm going to keep asking. Why don't we stand in line for the prayer meeting? Why is it that we can gather a large crowd for the fire tunnel when the evangelists come? Why is it that we will line up for the healing line? Why is it that we will line up for that personal prophetic word? For that famous preacher at the conference? But why don't we line up to pray, Calvary? Why don't we line up to pray? Aren't you in this room with me this morning? I got good news for you. It is only 9 o'clock in Phoenix, Arizona right now. Hey! We line up for the large crowd. And we've learned... How to pack buildings to hear gifted musicians sing about prayer and about revival. To hear popular preachers preach about prayer, about revival. But we falter when it comes to the one thing that is actually going to bring revival and that is pray. Come on, y'all. Why? Is the prayer meeting not the most popular meeting? I'm going to answer that question for you, whether you want to hear it or not. Hallelujah. It's because, and there could be other answers in this, but first of all, you really don't believe in the power of prayer. Because if we really believe that prayer would cancel the homosexual agenda in our nation, if we really believe that prayer would expose and overturn corruption in our government, if we really believe that prayer would wipe out hate and racism, if we really believe that prayer would end sex trafficking, if we really believe that we would pray around the clock, jungle praying that to a melting point. Somebody shout in this place this morning. The next reason why prayer meeting is not the most important meeting to you is because it's not gotten bad enough for you in this nation to touch you personally to the point of harm and alarm or fear of your life. Y'all look at me and I know you know this. I don't remember the exact day now. But everything changed when war broke out against Israel. Y'all didn't hear me. I said everything changed. You can't go back to your nominal Christian life now. Nothing's going to be the same again. You better talk to me in this room. I came to stir you this morning. I came to tell you that God needs a remnant. Shake your neighbor. Say a remnant. A remnant. I came to say that God needs a remnant. A remnant. A remnant. A remnant. That knows how to melt the snow. But things haven't gotten bad enough for the American church in this nation to touch you personally. A few minutes after 9-11, we all prayed. A few minutes after COVID, we all prayed. Talk to me, y'all. 
But when the dust clears, we regress back into a spiritual state of Pollyanna mentality. Come on. Blind, foolish perspective at the condition of a nation. Leonard Ravenhill once again said, we must have a divine invasion. We need the preachers to weep between the porch and the altar to come lie all night in sackcloth. We need the people of God to stir themselves and call on God. He says, this is God's formula for a nation revival. And he is not bound to honor anything less. One man said, where are the prayer groups, the company of intercessors? Where are the churches united in an agonizing prayer that God would rend the heavens? There's only one thing that's going to save us in this hour, America. It is prayer. He's cutting a remnant. Please look at your other neighbor because you've worn that one out, all right? (laughs) I'm almost done. Musicians, just hang on. I don't need you just yet. Hang on. God is forging a remnant, Calvary, look at me. And he's cutting and he's tearing. The Lord spoke to me a couple of years ago that he's tearing the remnant. Can you make the cut? Can you make the cut? Are you going to digress back into the popular larger piece? Come on. Because a remnant is just a small corner of this, my friend. It's not going to look popular. It's not going to seem like it's the end crowd. You better talk to me in this room. It's not going to seem like it's the end crowd. It's not going to seem like it's the way that you should go because everybody's following this one. Everybody's following that one. Everybody's going with this trend. Everybody's going with that trend. But God says, I am forging a remnant who will spend all night in the jungle praying out in the snow, melting the snow because they have pulled on me to the point where they took hold of me and pulled me out of heaven into earth. He said, those are the one that will be the remnant. And God is forging. He told me two years ago, tell the body of Christ, you better make the cut because the enemy is going to try to make it look like that this is cool and this is right. But God says it is only those with eyes to see and ears to hear that will understand it's a small part of the bigger piece that's going to shift this nation. Yes, he's forging a remnant. Look, y'all, prayer is our only connection, is is our connection to the only one who can change the situation. And to that point, we must lose any ideology. We must lose any doctrine, any creed that says that our prayer cannot change things, that says that our prayer does not move God's hand. We've got to lose the attitude, whether you admit it or or not admit it. That says we're wasting our times and we're spinning our wheels this week. Come on, somebody. We've got to lose the childish, immature perspective that because it doesn't excite me, it must not be effective. Come on. Can I tell you something? Tonight, the rest of this week, don't come looking for excitement. Don't come looking for somebody to excite you. Come, get ready to melt the snow. Come on. I'm not called to excite you. Apostle Rayleigh is not called. Pastor Don is not called to excite you. We are called to equip you. We are called to stir you. Can I say something? Attractional church has caused a cancer within the church in this nation. And it is a cancer that says it's all about me. We have digressed in our churches in this nation. So what are you going to do this week for me, Pastor, to excite me? 
me? What are you going to do for me this week, Pastor, to attract me? What are you going to do for me this week, Pastor, to keep me from moving to another church? I'll tell you what I tell my church. I'm not doing one thing to attract you, to, to excite you, to appease you. What I will do is equip you for an end time that could shake you to the core of who you are unless you know how to pray and melt the snow. Somebody shout in this place. Almost done. I'll get the keyboard player to come because that makes everybody feel more comfortable. Come on. It's sad that we have to say that, but it's true. Come on. Come on, y'all. I've been in enough churches. I know. Come on, y'all. This is it. This is what God needs us to do. We've been spoiled in this nation because for a decade we've made everything about us. But God is turning the tables over and he's cutting the remnant. I'm telling you, he's going to use the intercessors. He's going to use the intercessors. And I see those in this nation who are being stirred to the point of aggression and zeal. A few. But awakened zeal is vastly different than our accepted form of awakened interest. Come on, somebody. Oh, that's good right there. Because zeal will drive you unconditionally, but interest is always at my convenience. I know it's afternoon, but can you, can you, can you hang with me for a few more minutes? Come on. I said, zeal drives you unconditionally. I'm trying to get you ready for this week and beyond. Because the spirit of prayer falls on a life of prayer. Interest is always at my convenience. And yet another problem in the modern church in this nation. We don't want to be inconvenienced. May I submit to you that the cross of Christ was an inconvenience. Can I submit to you that Paul's prison was an inconvenience. Stephen Stone's was an inconvenience. John's exile on the Isle of Patmos was an inconvenience. Moses' 40 years in the desert was an inconvenience. Jonah being in a well was an inconvenience. Jeremiah being thrown in a dungeon was an inconvenience. Yet somehow we think in our modern church in this nation that we're going to get what they got yet without being inconvenienced. I came to stir you to a prayer of humility tonight. If you say you want souls, then pray like you want souls. Yes, hallelujah. This gets personal. And as you can already tell, I have no problem getting personal and getting up in our business. Come on. It's about time that somebody gets up in our business. Talk to me, y'all. Go ahead. Yeah, clap, clap. You need to do something. Come on. It's about time somebody got up in our business. I'm not against happy, clappy sermons. I'm not against encouragement. I'm not against that. We need that. But we also need the 401st prophet. You know, where, Je where Jehoshaphat said to Ahab, uh, the past passive one, he said, do I have any prophets? And he said, yeah, I got 400 of them. And they were all saying the same thing. Talk to me, y'all. They were all saying the same thing. This is not my quote, but I wish it was. And Jehoshaphat looked around, and he says, that just sounds too unanimous to me. He just sounds too, oh, that just sounds too unanimous. To me. If you know your Bible, you know the story that I'm referring to because the passive spirit of Ahab that has gripped the church is calling for the prophets that will, have, will, will soothe the itching ears. But God, but Jehoshaphat said, there's got to be another one. But the passive spirit said, yeah, there's another one, but I don't like him because he never says anything good about me. 
It is the voice of the 401st prophet that is going to cut through the lethargy and cut through the slumber and cut through the nonsense in the church in this nation to raise up a remnant who will stir themselves to call on God and take hold of him. Somebody shout amen in this place. You say, do you always scream when you preach? Always. There's no such thing as an easy revival, my friend. I got to quit. Start playing, somebody. Ooh, I don't. Hang on. We're going to come to the altar if that's appropriate uh, to do here at the end. We're going to come here and we're going to cry out before tonight. But listen, I am weary in the body of Christ. And we are ever careful, even after eight years in Phoenix, Arizona, of birthing and laboring. And I said laboring. I said laboring to sustain revival. I'm so frustrated that it has become a trend in the body of Christ. And now we take that word and we tack it onto anything that we are. Come on. We take that word and we tack it onto anything that we are. Any spiritual pursuit that we have, it's revival. That's not true. Talk to me. Any spiritual level. Oh, I'm in revival. No, you're not. Talk to me. Come on. Revival is not easy. Revival doesn't just jump on you. Revival's not going to just come this week, next week, and just land in this place. It's going to come because somebody. Somebody melted the snow. Somebody prayed until tears came. Somebody pushed. Somebody labored. You put the clock aside. Oh, I know i got to go to work tomorrow. But you push the clock aside. Because eternity is driving you more than the temporal life. Sadly, that is not the case for much of the church. Our temporal life drives us on and our eyes are down here. Pastor Dawn said the Holy Spirit kept telling her, look up. There's a reason the Lord is giving voices to tell us to look up because we're so tied to what is down here. Calvary, look at me. I said, we're so tied to what is down here. God says, tell them, don't even begin to think that revival will come if you are tied to something here. Your loyalty, your, 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 your consecration is tied to something here. God is saying to his church, you got to cut those ties and you got to reach heavenward. Let eternity drive you this week. Not a schedule, not an event, not a planned uh, order. Let eternity drive you, Calvary, this week. Because revival... It's not a series of meetings. Revival is not a hyped-up evangelist that comes in. Revival is when God sweeps in with His overwhelming presence and takes you over to where you care about nothing else in your life except Him and Him alone. And it transforms you to such a degree that you can no longer live like you've been living can no longer exist like you've been existing. This is revival, my friend. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come without tears. It doesn't come without travail. It cannot come on our terms. Anything less than tears and travail 
is merely a series of meetings. Generated events designed to soothe our consciences as we continue a half-hearted pursuit of God and a full pursuit of our goals. Help me, somebody. Revival is not easy. God is not interested in our good ideas. God is not interested in our trends any longer. Are you with me? It's time to awaken to reality that God wants to save a nation. God wants to save a city. But he needs some people who know how to melt the snow. In this last point that I give you, I've been talking about humility. And this one has taken longer. And I did it intentionally. Uh, uh, because there is so much pride in the church. So much pride. So much arrogance. God says, I need a humble people. Humble people who fill my heart. Humble people who want what I want. Not just what they want, but want what I want. David Wilkerson of late, David Wilkerson called it anguish. If you will allow me, I will quote just a couple of things that he said. He said, whatever happened to anguish in the ministry? It's a word that you don't hear in this pampered age. You don't hear it because anguish... <clears throat> It means extreme pain and distress. The emotions are so stirred that it becomes painful. Deep pain, deep sorrow, the agony of God's heart. Talking about prayers of humility. Someone who would stir themselves to call on God, to take hold of Him, to melt some snow so that a city, a nation, a soul can be saved. That the tide will turn in this nation because I believe it can. He said, we've held on to our religious rhetoric and our revival talk but we become so passive. All true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. You search the scripture and you'll find that when God determined to recover a ruined situation, he would share his own anguish for what he saw happening to his church and to his people. He would find a praying man and a praying woman and he would take them and he would literally baptize them in anguish. You find it in the book of Nehemiah, he said. Jerusalem is in ruins. How is God going to deal with this? How is he going to restore? Nehemiah wasn't a preacher. He was a career man, but he was a praying man. And God found a man who would not just have a flash of emotion or some sudden burst of concern and then let it die. He said, no, Nehemiah. He said, I broke down and I wept and I mourned and I fasted and I began to pray night and day. Why didn't these other men, why didn't they have an answer? Why didn't God use them? Because there was no sign of humility. There was no sign of anguish and weeping. Not a word of prayer. And it stayed in ruin. Does it matter to you, he says today? Does it matter to you that all that God's spiritual Jerusalem, the church, is now married to the world? There's such a coldness. Closer than that, does it matter that the Jerusalem is in our own hearts draining the power and the passion and he said this is the goal of the enemy stay with me this morning he's after you to get the fight out of you and to kill it so you won't labor in prayer anymore so you won't weep before God in humility 
He said, you see, true prayer, a true prayer life begins at the place of anguish. You see, if you set your heart to pray, God is going to share his heart with you. And your heart begins to cry out, oh God, your name is being blasphemed and the Holy Spirit is being mocked. The enemy is trying to destroy the testimony of the Lord's faithfulness. And something has to be done. Calvary, there's not going to be any renewal. There's not going to be any awakening until God can find a people of anguish, a people of humility, a people of intercession who will melt the snow. There's only one recipe for revival, my friend. It is prayer. It is not a good preacher. Are you with me in this room? We have good preachers all over this nation, but God is not shaking this nation yet because it's not going to come only from good preaching. It's going to come from all of us, myself included, willing to shed tears, willing to be in anguish, willing to push convenience to the side, to birth a revival of souls for such a time as this. All over this building stand. Come on, some are already praying. Lift your hands and pray in the Spirit. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You can make your way to the front, whatever the protocol is. Let the people, pastors tell you. Come on, I'm going to talk as you come. Come on, come on. The spirit of prayer is wanting to settle on you right now. The spirit of prayer is wanting to settle. Come on, come on. Come on, Calvary. You're being called to it. Where? Where? Where are the Jacobs who will wrestle? Where are the Hannahs who will be drunk in the spirit? Where? Are the Esthers who love not their life unto death? Where are the Abrahams who will sacrifice the very thing that is dearest to them? Where are those who will be so persistent to the point even of annoyance? Come on, y'all. Come, come this morning. Come on Sunday morning. Crowd these altars. We have sleepy prayers everywhere all across this nation. God says, I want to stir some people who will call on me and take hold of me. Lift your hands, lift your hands, lift your hands. Cry out, cry out, cry out, cry out, cry out. Come on, some of y'all, you need to get out of your comfort zone right now. I love you, Calvary, but I'm here to provoke you today. I said, I love you, but I'm here to provoke you today. You need to get out of your comfort zone. What is it? What is it that you're chasing in your life? Is it religion? Is it success? What is it? God says cut the ties and see through the eyes of eternity. I need some people who will pray. Come on, lift your voice, lift your voice. Come on, come, 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 come. Come on, louder, louder, louder. Cry out. Cry out, cry out. Don't back off. Don't back off. Don't back off. Stirred, stirred, 
stirred to tears, stirred to anguish, stirred to take hold of him, stirred to melt the snow, stirred, stirred, Calvary, stirred, stirred. Lift your hands, come on. Cry out, Calvary, cry out. Cry out for revival. Cry out. Cry out for awakening. Cry out for God to shake everything that can be shaken. Shake it, God. Shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it. Come on, cry out. We love to read about revivals. We love to hear about revivals. But we've got to learn to love to pray for revival. Break in, come. Break in, come. Break in, break in, come. Break in. Come on, that's it. Lift your voices. Come on, lift your voices. Lift your voices. Thirty seconds. Thirty seconds. Thirty seconds. Thirty seconds. Give it all you got this morning. Let God touch you to the point of travail. Ask Him for tears. Ask Him for tears. Ask Him for tears. Ask Him for His heart. Ask Him for His heart. Ask Him for His heart this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, lift it up, lift it up. Tears, 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 tears. That's it, that's it. Keep crying now, keep crying now. Come on. Don't be dependent on the music. Let it be your heart. That's it, just keep playing. Come on, let it be your heart. Asking for tears. Asking for tears. Asking for humility. Asking for prayers that'll melt the snow. Some of you in this room this morning, keep praying, keep praying. And when I began to talk about cutting the ties to this temporal realm, that resonated with you. You've come to church this morning because you know it's the right thing to do. But you are so tied to this temporal. You're so tied to this earthly realm. You can't lift your eyes upward because there's nothing you think of interest up there for you. Everything that fulfills you is down on this earthly realm and in this temporal realm. 
Everything that gives you, quote, happiness. Can I tell you that Jesus didn't die to give you happiness? He died to give you joy. Joy is much different than happiness, my friend. But that began to resonate within you. And if I do one thing in this place this morning, before you leave here, is to get you thinking about eternity, my friend. Not just what you're going to do this afternoon. Not what you're going to do at work tomorrow. But how you're going to spend eternity. And the cost that you need to pay right now. It's going to be too late then, my friend. You need to go all out right now. I'm going to say it again. Revival doesn't just jump on you. Revival is all or nothing. It is all or it is nothing. That's revival. God is calling his people in this hour. Stirring up his people. Cut the ties to the temporal. For some of you, that's even good things. It's good things to the neglect of the best things. The Bible teaches us that we're not even supposed to love our family more than we love Jesus. Come on, church. You take care of them. You provide for them. But Jesus must be number one in your life. And I'm going to go further. Because you will not have a prayer life if he's not number one, my friend. You've got to know him in an intimate way. You've got to know him in an intimate way close with this listen very closely because I believe that there is an impartation that the Lord has allowed in this season and I say this not with an arrogance but with, with a, a humility of heart recognizing what God is doing and needing to do but in March of 2021 my husband and I were ministering in Los Angeles, California. And that Saturday afternoon, we went downtown Los Angeles. And we began to visit all of the places of revival in downtown Los Angeles. And there was only one place that I had not been, and that was Bonnie Bray Street. Now, if you don't know the history of revival, you may not understand that before there was an Azusa Street, there was a Bonnie Bray Street. Let me tell you just 30 seconds what that means. Is that before the Azusa Street that you hear about, that this denomination, that this church and our church is a part of, came out of. Before there was an Azusa Street revival, there was a small group of people who were praying. Ah, say it like this. There was a small group of people who were melting some snow in Los Angeles, California. There was a small group of 15 people who were gathered together in a very tiny house called Bonnie Bray Street. And all they wanted was more of God. All they wanted was revival. They didn't know exactly what it looked like. They just had cut the ties to the temporal and they wanted what God said that they could have. And a group of 15 people, counting children, gathered together in a street, in a house on street called Bonnie Bray Street. And they prayed until 15 people became 50 and 50 people became 100 and 100 people became 300 and more and miracles began to happen they prayed 
on Pontiac Bray Street. And the reason why they needed Azusa Street is because they did their time on Pontiac Bray Street. Come on, somebody. They had to find a bigger place because their birthing, travailing prayer that melted the snow in a tiny house on another street made them move to what is now a famous street called Azusa. We have the Azusa Revival. But it didn't start on Azusa Street, my friend. Are you listening to me? It started on Bonnie Bray Street. And this is what I see in the church in this nation, Pastor Josh, is that we have so many that are trying to live on Azusa Street, but they have never done their time on Bonnie Bray Street. One more time. Lift up your hands all over this building. Begin to cry out. Keep the music just like it is. Pastor Josh, get ready to come. Come on, begin to cry out. Come on. I can't do it for you. You've got to ask God for a deeper passion of prayer. You've got to ask God for a greater level of unction. You've got to ask God for tears. You've got to ask God for travail. You've got to ask God. We need you, God. I must have you. The spirit of prayer falls on a life of prayer. Come on, 30 seconds. I'm handing the microphone off. Come on, raise it up, Calvary. Raise it up. Do it, Lord. Do it in this congregation. This week, God, I thank you that you will shift the atmosphere not only over this city, but over this church. In the name of Jesus, let it be so. Shout amen and amen. I don't, I don't know about you, but we didn't hear a sermon today. We heard a word from the Lord today. I feel provoked to a deeper level of prayer, and that's exactly what we're going to do tonight at 6 p.m. If I were you, I wouldn't miss a single time that we gather together. Whatever you've got to do, whatever you've got to clear in your schedule, to get right back here tonight and throughout this week. God is going to do something through us melting the snow. Somebody say amen. Listen, I'm, I'm about to release you. I'm about to release you. But for those of you that are new to this, please know that prayer like this is not instinctual. It's not instinctive. That's why the disciples said, teach us how to pray. One of the greatest ways you approach this kind of prayer in this season is every time you come to pray, you start off by saying, teach me today, teach me tonight, teach me in this moment how to pray. And the Holy Spirit will collect your heart with his heart in a glorious moment called burning prayer. Somebody say amen. Pastor Dawn will be at Guest Central. If you're a first-time guest, we want to meet you. Ooh, I feel so stirred in my heart. I can't wait to get back tonight. Would you just reach over, put your hand on somebody's shoulder, and let me bless you on the way out. We got a couple things that we want to make you aware of. Once again, the prayer tonight, 6 p.m. We also have foundations, Pastor Christian, that's starting. Foundation. If you've recently gotten saved over the last few months and you want to shore up your foundation in God, starting next week, I believe. What time? 
9 a.m. starting next week. It'll go three weeks long. If you've recently given your heart to Jesus or rededicated your life, foundations, there's a bunch of ways you can get connected. I think even Pastor Christian will be out. Uh, sorry, on the 12th. Uh, the 12th, I'm sorry. Okay, there'll be a graphic on the screen. We want to get you connected in that way. Put your hand on your neighbor's shoulder. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this day and this word and this hour of this time. You are talking to your church. And Father, I echo the words of Scripture saying that those who have an ear hear what the Spirit of God is saying and doing. Bring us back tonight, Lord, ready to pray and help us as we go. Thank you for this word and the woman of God that you sent to deliver it. In Jesus' name, bless your people. Somebody shout amen. God bless you. Thanks for watching the message. I'm sure this spoke to you. Here's what I want you to do. Why don't you subscribe to this YouTube channel? That way, every time there's a new message, you'll get to hear it. Also, many of you have watched this. Some of you watch on a regular basis. Why not take time? And so, you can give at calvaryfl.com. You can give on your phones, and you can be a part of helping us take this message around the world, the message of hope the message of Jesus Christ. Can't wait to see you back here real soon.